Well, it's nice to meet you. I've heard uh, a lot of good things about you. I know you're with Turning Point. That's awesome. So, yep, yep. I've been here uh, since pretty much the beginning here with with Charlie. So, I actually joined up with Charlie back in. I really met him in 2014, and it was end of 2014, beginning of 2015 that we we synced up and uh he was basically only in illinois at that point so mm. helped bring that turning point out to the west and you know was in charge of that and she's been you know a roller coaster ever since so it's been fun yeah so for our audience here uh this is tyler boyer he is an arizona national committeeman uh I've been kind of watching him and following him doing the Carrie Lake updates during the election. He was hanging out with Charlie Kirk and Jack Posovic. So he's TPUSA and he's a head of a mover and shaker of politics in Arizona. Um, and welcome to What's Happening America. This is our podcast. <laughs> Excited to be here. Thank you so much, Lauren. I appreciate it. So we, okay, so first real quick, give us an update on the RNC. I know it's like old news and we try to keep it up, but like you were there and our, Dorothy was there and you got to meet her. So just give yeah, us a vibe. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just the, the kind of the, the swift update. I mean, look, so that whole thing was, I mean, it, it started out from, you know, subterranean territory here where. You know, even before the election was really over, um, individuals who were supporting Rana were already starting to talk about campaigning for her, which I thought was really distasteful, you know, and there really wasn't really anyone thinking about that, right? Because everyone was focused, you know, in the rest of the RNC for the most part on just winning, you know, heading into November. And so, um, you know, when when it the day after, I think, the election, I was getting calls from people who you know, our, our friends of Rana's are like, we're trying to whip votes for Rana. I'm like, dude, we're in the middle of like, you know, recount territory in Arizona. Like this, this thing is on razor's edge here. And you're calling the, one of the most important States, like trying to campaign for Rana. And that's really, you know, I wasn't necessarily like a, a Rana fanboy, uh, but I definitely wasn't, you know, you know, anti Rana or anything like that kind of before the election, but um, you know, obviously I've come onto the, you know, the chair is the chair. And so you have to work with her no matter what, but, um, you know, I was just like astounded at the level of just sheer, um, you know, kind of just ineptitude of some of the other members who were thinking of that without even thinking and realizing like, Hey, Arizona is like, we, we depend on Arizona in order to win, uh, the presidency at this point. And so maybe instead of campaigning for, rnc chair we should be campaigning to get you know some w's on the board and and unfortunately that wasn't the case so that that's part of what uh made me realize really quickly that you know I, and there's other things you know prior to that i had felt kind of a certain way about certain things we can get into that but long story short you know that's really where i think a lot of campaigning with a lot of members really began was you know this is we've got to have different leadership we're losing we're not losing enough so we headed basically months into the RNC election and, you know, God bless Harmeet Dillon, you know, obviously Mike Lindell. It's just really tough if you're not on the RNC to run for RNC chair. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Harmeet, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's only crazy people want to run for chair of any party. 
committee, whether it's county or state party. I've been county chair, so I'm, you know, I'm part of that crazy club uh, or, or RNC chair. But it's just really hard, you know, to set aside your life and essentially be willing to basically lose money in, in a lot of cases in order to do these things. And uh, Harmy was one of the people that was, um, I think, a, a staunch, solid conservative America firster who said, you know, what, I, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to be, essentially lose a lot of money to do it. And uh, God bless her for stepping up. But you know, everybody kind of watched, I think, with bated breath, uh, you know, outside, just like, you know, wondering what's going to happen because, you know, all the experience that I had was 90% plus of the party was saying, we don't want Rana as chair anymore. You know, that, that was everywhere. That wasn't just in Arizona. That wasn't just in Idaho. This was universal. This was all over the place. And, uh, you know, I think 10 states basically came out and called for Rana to be replaced. That's like unheard of. It's never happened before. Um, every major media personality came out basically against Ron. <laughs> so like, you, I mean, you have massive donors, people who give like seven, eight figures um, to pol pol political related stuff. were coming out against Rana. This has never happened before. And I think a lot of us thought like, oh, well, you know, it's just a matter of time before you know, she gets the memo basically of like nobody, like she should move on. And she didn't. And I think part of the reason for that is because of, unfortunately, how much money is involved. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, there's a lot of details to that that I could get into. But, you know, long story short was, you know, there are only 168 members in the RNC. I'm one of them. It's it's three members for every state and territory of one man, one woman, and then your state party chair. And you go and vote. And unfortunately, a lot of people are persuaded by um, you know, acts of ambassadorship, meaning like, like emissary type stuff, which is like, oh, well, you can be chair of this committee, you can be in charge of this, or, you know, I can make sure that your territory or state gets this amount of, amount of money, especially the ones that don't matter, right? Like, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in a territory is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of a billion dollar enterprise, it's pretty small. So uh, unfortunately, that's kind of how the operation works. And now we're seeing already a lot of the things that Harmeet Dillon was saying, which was like, hey, I think there's a lot of goodies being handed out. We're already seeing that happen. And so a good example of that, unfortunately, were two gentlemen from Georgia. I won't name them by name, but they know who they are. Um, you know, we're there campaigning on behalf of Rana. Wouldn't you know it the next week after this, all of a sudden they're getting awarded an award in Washington, D.C., uh, for their activism mm -hmm. so this is the kind of stuff that like again that everybody was like yeah this is happening and then some of the members were saying oh my gosh how can you say that's happening that this is like the people are getting bribed and it's like that's unfortunately exactly what goes on and um you know I, again i i just happen to be one of the members one of the few i think that is completely unmoved by any kind of goody or bribe or you know, some carrot being dangled uh, because I'm I'm there just to just to help save the country and and save our state. So that's the long that's the long kind of wrap up. But you know, as as everyone knows, uh, you know, Harmy and Mike uh, got about a little over a third of the members uh, to vote against Rana. Um, that's pretty huge in the grand scheme of things, still, uh, because now at this point, you know, there's not a lot that can get done without a third of the members. And so basically, I mean, this is a, this is a big, I mean, 
historically, and I want to put this into like kind of juxtaposition here. The, the RNC has been a very, very moderate, a very, very establishment controlled entity for a long, long time. So the fact that even a third close to like an edging on close to a half of the membership was like really coming out vocally against Rana. And, and by the way, there's a lot of people who voted for Rana who don't love Rana. Now they're like trying to cover their butts because they're like, oh, no, I'm going to get knocked out next year. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, they... And this is what we warned, right? And they, they're like, are you threatening? I'm, like, I'm not, th nobody's threatening you. I'm just telling you, dude, that like, if you don't listen to the grassroots, they're going to knock you out. Like, mm -hmm. like mine would, mine would kick my butt to the curb so quickly, you know, if I voted for Anna. And so like, that's going to to see the exit. We got two. That's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be a huge exodus of people here. And it's like, is that helpful to the RNC? Not, I mean, not really. I mean, there's some members there that voted for Rana that have a lot of useful, a lot of usefulness, you know, on the national stage, yeah. um, you know, because it's, it's expensive to be on the RNC. It's, it's, it costs a lot of money. Like it, you, it costs about 30 to $50,000 a year just to be on the RNC because you have to pay for all the, I mean, they hold these things that freaking Waldorf Astorias and like, and, you know, four seasons and things like that. You know how much it costs to stay there for a week? It costs, it, it costs you no less than like, you know, four or $5,000 every trip minimum, right? That's just for the stay, forget travel, forget food, forget all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. And then and then the convention every few years. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the MO. So it's like, how many people can do that? Well, you know, first off, we don't need to be holding these things up, you know, Waldorf. So we don't need to be holding these things before seasons. Yeah. You know, I could probably save the RNC millions overnight just by implementing some of the things we do at turning point. But I mean, I, it's just one of those things where it's like the future is really uncertain for the RNC, for the Republican Party now, because we have so many people that don't believe in Mitch McConnell and Rana and, you know, Kevin McCarthy and others like they just don't. So, like, we've got to fix that if we want to have a party. Or you could donate directly to the candidates. I mean, that's I've heard a lot of that, like, stop giving to the RNC, stop giving to the GOP. Yeah, but I mean. Let, let me put this into perspective for you real quickly. And, and, and I don't mean to cut you off on that, but it's like at the end of the day, big donors, like the massive donors only give to certain entities, right? You're, you're limited on how much you can give to candidates, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason why Mitch McConnell matters is because Mitch McConnell and his PAC raise tens of millions of dollars every year, right? They raise, you know, upwards, the, the apparatus that exists, the national Republican app apparatus raises hundreds of millions of dollars every year, right? So that's you need that money in order to win Senate races, right? Like how nice would it have been in Nevada to have another $5 million to get lax all over the line? How nice would it have been in Arizona to have the $10 million given to Mur Murky Murkowski to help Blake Masters get over the line? So the problem is, is that it's like, well, they can give to candidates. Like you can, you can say that all day long, but the at the end of the day, you have to have these national entities that can take in more dollars, right? That can direct where dollars go, in order to win these races. And so the problem that we have in the Republican Party right now is like seventy percent minimum, seventy percent. It may be more than that in some states like mine, where I think it's close to like eighty-five, are staunch conservative. You know, Trump first. If it's not Trump, it's going to be DeSantis. And DeSantis is not liked by the establishment, no matter what the Trump people say right now. So, like, I, I'm telling you, like, we're in a place where it's like the conservatives control the party, but the moderates control the money, right? Yep. 
And so there has to be some like kumbaya, coup d'etat, you know, elements here where it's like, you know, you're never going to be able to get the grassroots. You you can't force the grassroots to do anything. What happens when you try to force the grassroots to do things is what happened in the Nebraska State Party. It's what happened to Eric Cantor. If you, you go talk to Eric Cantor, what happened in what happened in Virginia to Eric Cantor is like the the scenario when you try to control the grassroots, that's what ends up happening. You get kicked to the curb, right? But the 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 establishment donors, they certainly can have, I mean, so it's a much smaller, more finite group. And even though it's their money, you know, they can still they they need to be engaging more organizations and honestly media and alternative media and podcasts like what you're doing to say like i need to figure out what's actually going on on the ground yeah have you seen an uptick in grassroots conservatives getting involved in the in the state parties yeah i mean look this is what we need right so part of what we do at turning point action is if you go to tpaction.com slash pc um, or just slash get involved it's we're recruiting precinct committeemen all across the country. So it, it, in every state's a little bit different. You might call it a precinct committeeman, a precinct chair, a precinct captain, a PCO, which is precinct committee officer, a precinct uh, committee person, a precinct president in Hawaii, a precinct delegate in the Midwest. Um, you know, or in some states you have nothing, just a couple. But uh, most, all of them have something around the precinct, right? And so right. That, that is the that is the role that in, that you get elected to. And the number one role of that job is, is, number one, is to elect party leadership. Number two is then to help organize the grassroots on the ground in your neighborhood. And uh, the, the National Republican Party has basically done nothing with this, right? So, you know, I, you know, Rana probably regrets putting me on the grassroots committee. She made me co-chair of the grassroots committee and the chair was this really nice lady. She was a big Ronna lady um, in Texas. Really wonderful. She's wonderful. Just recently lost her husband, but you know, a grassroots girl, a little bit more establishment grassroots, but you know, grassroots nonetheless. Um, but we, we compiled a report. We worked really, really hard with about 40 members of the RNC. And what we did, we did a listing session. And, and what we did is we sent everybody out and said, go talk to all the county chairs you possibly can. Go talk to all the precinct committeemen you can and ask them what sucks about the RNC. Just say like, hey, what what do you how do you feel about the RNC? And then when they tell you it sucks. So it's like, how do you feel about the RNC and why does it suck? Right. Like that's that's this great. Basically, it was like, and why do you hate it? Right. Um, and then they came back with basically answers of why all these things were missing. And we we assembled a really nice really concise document that we gave to Ron and McDaniel that said, here are all the things that the RNC needs to be doing. And one of those things was educating the public, not just on voter registration, but on becoming more actively involved with the party, right? Like yeah. you would think that, that would be something that the party would want to do for itself. Um, you know, it was very clear. It's been made very clear to me, not just by Rana, but others that there's like absolutely zero interest in that. Um, and how you know that is because they just, I mean, you'll never hear the RNC talk about becoming a precinct committee man or precinct captain or precinct delegate, right? Like you just won't. Yeah. And to me that that, you know, to me that that's bizarre. It's clearly bizarre, but the 
the the reality is after I've spent you know now years thinking about this as a, as one of the youngest guys in most Republican Party rooms is that they just don't want to be replaced, you know, yeah. and that, and that's not that's not always just establishment guys. It's also some Tea Party guys, right? Like there's some Tea Party guys who got in in like 2010 2012 who like feel like they own the place, right? And they're like, oh, this is my turf and they don't want to go. And this is like a, a massive problem because it, it really doesn't matter how old you are. It matters how talented and how energetic you are, right? Like at the end of the day, if you are if you have a ton of talent to contribute to the Republican party, if you have a lot of energy um, and ideas to bring, you should be in, in leadership. That's what we need. And, and you should go in and you should get out. You should go in and implement ideas and get out. Just mm-hmm. like- should have a public office so yeah so i saw i saw that at the rnc you put in a, a rank choice voting thing where you were the um what is it wow resolution rank choice yep. voting resolution and then we did one in idaho for our gop and now the legis one of the legislators i'm working for here in the capitol he's about to push um an anti-rank choice voting so what are your thoughts on that so i mean we can get in deep on rank choice voting um I actually put out a tweet. Someone just recently must have put out again. Um, it got ended up getting like 25,000 likes on Twitter uh, because I put out a map of a 270 to win map that um, that showed what the country I think will look like if we allow ranked choice voting to, to invade America. And the left obviously was like getting super giddy over it. They're like, this is exactly why we need ranked choice voting. But yeah, the point is, is sharing it with conservatives and, and really independents to say, like, look, this is how awful the country is going to be very quickly. And you're going to have one party rule because ranked choice voting, they're not implementing this in like Vermont. In fact, uh, many not many people know this. They actually implemented this in, at the municipal level in Vermont and they they got rid of it. You know why? Because ranked choice voting did exactly what ranked choice voting does, which is it it minimized the leftist, the progressive voice. And, and I think Burlington is where they did it. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a more moderate conservative candidate got elected. It flip flops depending on which one's the majority. It's like Vermont's majority blue. So they got stuck with a moderate Republican. But, but here's the point is they're not going to ever implement these things in those states, right? The whole reason why they're trying to implement ranked choice voting. And again, for your listeners that don't know anything about ranked choice voting, Ranked choice voting is what was implemented in Alaska, and it's been implemented in other places like Maine. And in fact, again, Maine, it's been great for Republicans, right? Because it's got an actual Republican elected. Now, I don't consider Susan Collins like my kind of Republican, you know, so I don't really see her being that far off from having a Democrat elected, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, she caucuses with us and that's fine. But the problem is, is that ranked choice voting is not going to get implemented all over the country. First off, it's not going to get passed in a lot of places, but they're definitely not going to allow it to get passed in Democrat states. And here's the reason why, because the ranking system is one, two, three, four. What it does is it always benefits the middle class, right? Which means that if you're ultra conservative or ultra progressive, even if you're in an ultra conservative or ultra progressive uh, community, um, the middle two grounds, the moderate Republicans, the moderate Democrats are always going to have a strong voice because they're going to become the spoilers. So they're going to become the ones who decide who gets elected based off of their second, third, fourth choices on, on the, on the, it's like a runoff basically, but, um, but it's, it's, it's all automatic 
it's on computers, you can't trace it, and it takes weeks for the results to come out. So the reason why this this matters and why this is problematic for me are really two big reasons, and this is the greatest talking points. If I live in an ultra conservative community that just isn't 50% ultra conservative, right? Like let's say it's 40%, 45% even, 49%, right? That's a really conservative community, right? Well, that's a lot yeah. like Matt Gates district, you know, and that's a lot like Andy Biggs district where I'm from in Gilbert, Arizona, which is like one of the most conservative areas in, in America. Andy Biggs and Matt Gates will never get elected again, right? And this would be the same with like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and like, uh, yeah, Rashida Tlaib and, you know, conservatives might say, well, that would be great. But again, they're only going to implement this in the states where they can knock out the Matt Gates and the and the Andy Biggs and the other places. They're not going to allow the Tlaibs and the AOCs to get knocked out. Well, you'd be surprised, like here in our state, inside baseball, um, the evil like puppet stringers behind the scenes have already come out and said, we have the money, we have the movement, we're going to try to implement it in Idaho. Meanwhile, our secretary of state who talks out the other side of his mouth is like, oh no, we're going to, we're going to, you know, fortify elections and we're going to do this, that, and the other election security. And then they're going to, in a year, they said they're going to start pushing ranked choice voting. So we've got all of our freshman legislators like pumping bills out to try to stop this right now. Yeah. I mean, because look, Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get, I mean, if you look at that map that I brought up, all they need is really one or two more states to control forever. And we're never going to win the presidency again. We're not, we're just not. And and I, I'm going to point to California, Washington, and really Oregon, but let's just focus on California, Washington. California, Washington implemented top, a top two system, right? So the coastal states they did this the, the blue that the were really like light blue i mean for a long time oh yeah oregon and washington and really a lot of parts of california were really like light blue they weren't dark dark blue it was just specific communities in, in those states and what ha- and what happened was they implemented a top two primary system which really is not not far off from what ranked choice voting actually achieves jungle right jungle primaries Jungle primary, yeah. And okay. the whole the whole idea is this to manipulate the election process, right? Is this if you can if you can manipulate the elections, and again, so for example, the top two primaries. So what they did in California was this: if only if two Democrats get the the two most votes, then they go through to the the general, right? There's not even a Republican representative on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening in California early on in the top two jungle primaries, because what Republicans are super independent. If all three of us wanted to run for office, it's going to be really hard to talk one of us out of running for office. But the Democrats are not that way. That's not how they operate. They have they pull levers and strings and threats. And so what ended up happening was in a congressional district that may have been even right leaning, you know, you'd have 10 Republicans run and you have two Democrats run. And then the two Democrats would make it through. And they knew this. So the Democratic Party locally knew that they could organize this because they're more organized and they were they were sneakier. Right. And so that's how they took over essentially California. So the big question is, like, how did California become like basically completely unwinnable, especially in places that were once upon a time winnable, like in Orange County, Central Valley, San Diego? I mean, we went from like literally half the state was Republican congressmen to yeah, within about two, like within about 15 years to like, I think it would got down to like six or something like eight congressmen. Well, 
it's because of this, because they were able to organize better. And this is the same principle as ranked choice voting. So it's really interesting about ranked choice voting is like, they're not going to implement this thing in Vermont, right? They're going to implement this thing in Idaho. They're going to implement this thing in Wyoming. They're going to implement this thing in Nevada and Arizona and Utah, right? Because guess what? If they get in Utah, guess the best case scenario, you get Mitt Romney. The worst case scenario is you end up like Alaska, you get a Democrat, right? Right. That's that's the future for Utah if they pass ranked choice voting. Nevada now with ranked choice voting passing, it's it, we're we're never gonna if that if if that sticks and stay, stays around, you're never gonna get a, a Republican elected again. That mistake's never gonna happen again in Nevada. It's gonna be so wonk here because we have tens of thousands. We had thirty. What was it, Josh? Like thirty-two thousand crossover voters. So we yeah. had Democrats cross over to Republicans to vote for our establishment candidates. And so right. I was like, oh, your party sucks. Like, oh, you don't want to like just try to re revigorate it or, you know, reinvent it or bring people to it. No, you're just going to do like a hostile takeover of ours. Like, get out of here. You know, that, it, it, it works both ways, too, because the Democrats do the hostile takeover stuff because they have the money to put into it, like in Alaska. Right. Because that's what was happening in Alaska was, you know. In places where you have same day voter registration, all this, you know, all of a sudden, like oh, there was this huge drop off in in votes for the Democrat and for Senate, right? And all of a sudden, like Murkowski is, you know, getting all these clear mm -hmm. Democrat votes. Exactly what they happened. To, so they try to organize basically to keep Democrats out from running in certain circumstances, or they they do same day voter reg for this re reason. But it works the opposite way too, which is that Republicans just give up. And they don't, they they do basically just join the Democrats. So like in California, after the top two primary got in, initiated, right? And this is not any different from if ranked choice voting happens in your state. But the Republicans just gave up, right? And they just start going, you know what? I'm just going to start, you know, I'm not even going to vote for a Republican anymore. I'm just going to vote for the most more moderate Democrat. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's what they do now. So that's California. So that basically, you know why? Because they didn't believe in the party anymore. There was nothing to believe in. Because you have people that are in leadership at the party who are like weakling, wussy, you know, that just have like, that have given you no reason to fight, right? That are just like making, pulling six figures down, multiple, you know, maybe millions of dollars down. And you know, that person doesn't care about me. So why am I going to fight for the party? And so what ends up happening in a state like Utah, frank choice voting gets passed. A lot of Republicans are going to go, you know what, I, you know. It doesn't matter. Now my guy, now I can, I can never get another Mike Lee elected again. So like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not going to vote anymore. Like, I'm just not going to vote anymore or I'm going to vote for a moderate Democrat or a spoiler candidate, or I'm just going to go right for the throat. And that's how you're, you lose your country because you no longer have a system, an electoral system where you are voting for who you think is the clear best choice. You are now mentally being conditioned to vote for the person who has the best chance of winning, even if you don't agree with them. Right. And right. so that's what ranked choice voting does is that it's forcing you in some instances to rank people, to vote for people because ranking is voting, right? Second, third, fourth choice. That's voting in a runoff. So you're now voting for people. You don't even, you may not even believe it that you don't even agree with. Yep. That's so sick. I mean, at some point, that's like it's the sickening that you as an American are now voting for someone that you don't even agree with. The, the beauty of America to me is this, is that if you have an idea and you have an idea and I have an idea, we can all run against each other 
And whoever has the best ideas that is able to get the most people behind my ideas wins. Ranked choice voting now, what it does is it incentivizes people to not talk about those things. You, all three of us, we're never going to talk about anything that could be even perceived as, as, as a tough subject because I may lose votes because I'm bringing up something that's like something that needs to be talked about. Like whether it's, you know, obviously this is a touchy subject, like social security reform, you know, uh, we won't, we won't, we won't talk about that this week, Mike Lee, but you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, other thing, what, whatever it might be, the war in Ukraine, um, COVID policy, like, like I think about these things that have shooting balloons down, like we literally aliens, whatever it is, right. Whatever that the federal government has to face. Now people are going to be less likely to talk about that because you don't want to, Oh, heaven forbid, I might lose a vote. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're better off just being just like Mr. Squishy or Mrs. Squishy and getting the Democrats on board for you to win. That's, that's, I'm telling you guys, that's how you lose your country forever. You're you're done. You're dead. You're you're never going to come back from it. And that's that's the direction we're heading right now in America. And that's very very scary. So it's your state's 111th birthday today. It is. We're that's celebrating. Exciting. We're celebrating by taking our wives out to dinner. So fancy. Oh, it is Valentine's Day too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks <clears throat> thanks for the reminder i'm i gotta go get something now yeah we, we appreciate got, it we've got we've got uh yeah our our uh it's 111th birthday and um so arizona is the you know the third youngest state that we have in the union and you know it's it's really interesting a lot of people don't know this about arizona but arizona was the last to join Medicaid, uh, the Medicaid uh, marketplace, because uh, they didn't, Arizona's always been on this like outside of like, just leave us alone. We want to do our own thing. That's part of like, we're the land of very gold water, super libertarian. But I mean, just very quickly again, with the implementation of things like ranked choice voting, with just uh, not really maintaining our own state sovereignty and, and focusing on state sovereignty a- aspects and elements, you know, we're becoming uh, more and more like this, like go between land between California and New Mexico or California and Colorado. And again, this is kind of the tip of the sphere for spear for a lot of people, which is, you know, this is what's going to happen in Idaho. This is what's going to happen in Utah. And I'm a big believer not to get too deeply into the reasons why. And this is kind of, this is really deep, but um, I believe that we haven't followed the Jeffersonian model across the United States when the states were implemented. And I think it was a huge disadvantage to the future of the country, specifically with the size of counties and how local your government is. So the reason why you guys are screwed the same way that we're screwed is this, is that Boise is going to inevitably become your, you know, your UN, um, you know, you know, ideal model city, right? Which is, which is very simple. And this is like for the listeners out there, this is like really, really simple stuff. It's building up instead of building out, right? So the reason why the Western states have been basically untouched um, for the last hundred years, for the most part, it's taken this long is because in very few instances, have you seen upward growth? You've only seen outward growth. So Phoenix has always grown outwards. 
around all of the areas, the populous areas of Idaho. You've always seen grown, you've grown outwards. Um, and in Utah, you, everyone's grown outwards, right? It's like you've seen this like massive sprawling suburbia. And that's been to our advantage. Um, unfortunately, now the scenario is this is that, uh, and this is part of the reason why I believe that the Bureau of Land Management um, acquired as much land as it has, and they have been unwilling to to move on this. Is that um, they want that you know if you if you believe in like Agenda Twenty One stuff and everything else that exists, um, which you've heard and it's not whether you believe it, it's whether you know, you study it. You know they want you to grow up. Why? Because there's a reason why Marxists and communists, you know, in the Soviet Union wanted everybody to live on top of each other in small cities. It's because it's easier to control people. It's easier to uh, provide services to people. Um, that they may or may not want. And this country has never been founded on that, right? So uh, we've seen it happen on the East Coast, but it's been more difficult on the East Coast. The reason why? Because you have counties that are much smaller. So, uh, you know, and you have hundreds of counties in, in some of these very small states, whereas in the West Coast, you have um, very big states with very few counties. And so what does that mean? Well, um, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Really, Washington, Oregon, California, um, you know, New Mexico, Colorado, you have very few counties. And what ends up happening is you have a lot of large uh, population centers within one county, even if it's just one. And that city can grow upwards much more dramatically and much more quickly by offering and bringing. I mean, there's a myriad of different things that they can do. They can bring in federal money uh, to build projects that essentially can uh, that can help populate very swiftly a what, what was once a suburban town. And that is where you get the Boise's going from like, where it's like pretty conservative to now you're seeing, it's like kind of turning into a radical place. That's why like Mesa here where I live, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit, it's a little bit bigger than, than Boise is, but it's similar in size. That's why that's rapidly transforming into a deep blue territory. And, and once you get that in a state that's so small, the counties can't really combat it because it's only one big county. So what ends up happening is the big county becomes an element of the big city. So that that's it's not to the level of a city state type circumstance that you have with San Francisco, but it's it's somewhere similar. And so like Salt Lake, Salt Lake County, like Salt Lake is done. Like it's toast, right? It's like it's, it's blue, it's deep blue. And at some point, Salt Lake will continue growing upwards, right? Because they have enough ability to do that that it will dominate the entire state. So it won't matter what the rest of the state looks like. This is exactly what happened in King County with Seattle. This is exactly what happened in California with LA County and San Francisco. Vegas, Clark County. Vegas, Clark County, Phoenix, yep. and Maricopa, uh, Harris, uh, Houston and Harris County. I mean, you have literally the model, right? When the Democrats know this, by the way, too, and we never talk about it. The Democrats are like, they're literally outwardly talking about we need to grow up, grow up, grow up, grow up. And we never talk about growing out, growing out, growing out, growing out. And so this is the reason why um, I was fighting so hard to get Carrie Lake elected here was because um, we need a Western state governor that has the balls to actually fight back against the Bureau of Land Management to say, we're going to take all that land back and we're going to keep we're going to incentivize outward growth. Right. Yes. We're going to incentivize it, which means. And I've had arguments with people. I actually believe that, you know, we should just be giving people land. Like if you're a citizen, you're born in the state of Arizona, like I'm just going to give you the land. You know why? You're more likely to turn out to be conservative. You're more likely to take care of that land if you're gift, if you're given it 
And by the way, I don't really care because it should be yours anyway. It's not the Bureau of Land Management. It shouldn't be the federal government's land anyways. Right. Like if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna if I, I'll give you land if you're gonna put cows on it and chickens, right? Like that's that's everything that the feds and everything that the globalists don't want, right? So science. What's happening, America? This is Mike Wendell with my pillow. And I just woke up from the best sleep in my life ever using my pillow. I have a large selection of products that are up to 66% off. Just use code WHA at checkout. It's a great time to try my pillows, pillowcases, robes, slippers, bath mats, dog beds, my Giza Dream bed sheets, and try the new delicious my coffee. Date that's good. Don't forget coupon code WHA at checkout. God bless America. And this is the problem, right? This is really the really simple. It's like an overly simple problem that can be easily solved with enough energy put behind it with patriots, which is like, hey, we've got to take our land back in the Western states and we've got to tell the federal government to get the hell out. And and we need to grow this way and stop growing this way. We need to be putting height restriction on buildings, on yeah, on residential buildings. We need to be uh, incentivizing more farmland. We need to stop selling land to obviously the CCP in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And, <laughs> like it's, it's like very simple. Like in Arizona, like we're like selling land to like Saudi Arabia and like giving them alfalfa. It's like what? Like like how? Who agrees with this? Like who? Governor like, Little was just in Singapore and Taiwan. Like, what the hell are you doing there? And like, why is there such a large, like the largest in our like Bureau of Land Management thing where it shows foreign sales, the largest is other. And ironically, you don't have China in the list. So like, you're selling our land to China. Like, what are you doing? Well, and this is, you know, and look, Governor Little sucks. You know, um, he's, he's slightly better than, you know, yeah, you know, the, the cut governor that is in, in you know, that is in Utah. Uh, and, you know, there's a, you know, now we, we are stuck with somebody that probably is on the same level here in Arizona. And again, this is the plan, right? Is they have to, they, all they have to do is go in, get these really weak spine governors to basically do nothing, right? While they run roughshod over them. Because that's the, that's the secret. The secret isn't that like, and again, you know, you could disagree with me all day long. You know, Governor Cox and Governor Little uh, are just weaklings. That I've, I've met them both. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm disgusted by both of them. I think they're both wusses. Um, yeah, I support. I, I support anyone. I think that literally anyone could be a better governor than both these guys. I think. I think there's Democrats that probably could be better governors than these guys, and I, I, that's like saying a lot. But like they, they, they literally. And, and here's the reason why. They are so they're so submissive to the left and to the radical left that they actually are causing more damage because of their submission than even like like a like a like a pro business like backbone like establishment Democrat would be. And this is what we're seeing in Arizona, right? Is we have Republicans who really aren't Republicans at all. Yep. They're aiding and abetting radical Democrats, right? Yes. Radical left. Marxists, 
And and again, like I, I actually find more in common. I think there's a lot of California Republicans, formerly Republicans, who are now Democrats in California, you know, because of the system. This is how screwed up America is right now, right? Is like there's people in California who are more conservative than Republicans we have in some of these red states. Like, and it's and it's because of this party construct thing. I'm not advocating for electing Democrats. I I don't think that's smart. But I, my point is, is that we're all screwed up. We have some really bad people within our own party. And we have people at the RNC level and at the state level who aren't willing to call these people out. Right. And call well, and real quick, like a story about little, just super fast. So I'm here in the Capitol. I guess I should keep it down. But like he is bought and owned by um, a lobbyist group called IACI. They're like the largest corporations in the state, right? It's you're talking Micron, you're talking AT&T, uh, Wells Fargo, Simplot, right? So these dudes own him, own him. And they're out there peddling like Boise pride money. And our governor is supposed to be a conservative and everyone ignores it. So, so fast forward, here's where a new session, right? And he's out here trying to peddle a bill to give $8,500 to students who graduate high school to go to college, but only, only positions that help those IACI companies. So like, if you're going to learn how to build microchips and go to Micron, you get $8,500. So he's going to create a bear market. We're going to pay for college. So government is subsidizing secondary school now woohoo and it's just crazy like and he's pushing this bill it is a corporate bill it's crazy it, and and this is the reason why it's 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 kind of scary you never would have thought that you'd like kind of wish huntsman was back around but like it's like i mean you have guys here and this is and this is kind of what i mean by that right which is like these guys guys like cox are and little are entertaining things that like even like the people we thought were the worst republicans ever would entertain right and sometimes it's they're entertaining it sometimes they're just turning a blind eye to it and letting it happen but like again i i i don't know like again i i don't know what kind of world we're moving into here i like to think that like a huntsman would never get on camera and like say his personal pronouns um you know like governor cox did right like and I, i don't know if that makes you know, him any better. I don't know if it really does, but here's what I know is that we're heading in a bad direction. Like that's, that that's what I know. What I know is that when you're like, what you're, you're, you're talking about right now, when people do actions have, you know, they act in a certain way or they do, you watch these minor little things, right. That they do. And you start to be able to tell who controls them, who, who who's pulling the puppet strings. Right. And I, I always tell people it's a lot like social media. Like I'm super, I hate social media. I hate being on it. I hate being on Twitter. I hate being on Facebook. I hate being on Instagram. I really do. But I, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly for all my employees, but I watch it like a hawk because you can tell a lot about a person by like who they like, who they interact with, like what they say, how they comment, right? Like, for example, we saw like, I've, I've seen somebody you know, like things that are, you know, you would think that were contrary to their job role. That tells you a lot about that person, like what they're thinking, what they're going through. It's the same thing with these things, right? It's like, we never saw like some of these even really establishment bad Republicans, like the Jeb Bushes of the world. And like, just like totally kowtow to like the LGBTQ community or lobby. I shouldn't say community. I should say lobby. Um, to the abortion lobby, to all these different things, right? To the you know, the corporatist 
um, BLM lobby, like all these things that we're seeing. And those were never things that even the people we hated the most that we thought were the worst for the Republican Party ever did. And now you have these guys getting in and this is like a totally new brand of establishment Republican. Right? This is really like, again, this is where people talk about uniparty. They talk about, you know, things. This is this is why it's like it's very again, I'm, I'm a normal dude. I'm just a dad. You know, I have kids, you know, in, in activities like I go to church, like I just very normal. They hate normal people. Right. Because when you can be just a normal dude or a normal girl. And just be like, yeah, like there's a lot going on with this whole situation with, you know, Governor Cox or Governor Little or there's a whole lot going on with like Mesa, Mesa Mayor John Giles and over here in Mesa, like Mitt Romney, like whatever. Like there's a lot, there's something weird going on there. They hate that because that's where the real impressions start having on the community, right? With moms and dads and kids. So, Yeah. We need a lot more of that, basically, right? Like we need a lot more people stepping up and just being like, "Look, I'm like I'm passionate. You know, I am. You know, I'm overly involved in politics, but I'm normal, okay? Like I'm a normal dude. Like, and trust me, like there's just weird stuff going on. We're like that. We're with you. <laughs> and that's um, okay. That's kind of how we. That's how we knocked out Rusty Bowers and Mesa, actually. So, you guys know the story of Rusty Bowers and all of that, all that. I'm not familiar with that. So Rusty Bowers was the speaker of the house. So this, this hopefully will give a lot of people a lot of energy, like, you know, and I hopefully you're drinking like I am, you're Alani new and, uh, you know, knocking down. Yeah. Not knocking down whatever you need to knock down. And, and for, uh, obviously all my Mormons that are out there that are in you know, stark LDS communities. Um, so Rusty Bowers was the speaker of the house. Um, traditionally it was a pretty conservative guy, uh, but had been in, in and out of the legislature for legislature for years. Became Speaker of the House, and then all of a sudden, just like had this like this phenomenon happen where it's like he started just doing all this like really weird stuff, right? Like like Governor Little type lobbyist string pulling types of where it's just little things that you would notice only if you're on the inside, right? And uh, and ultimately it culminated in things that I won't get into because it'll take us down the road, but. Yeah, he's he was signing on to you know the LDS church, like bending the knee to all this LGBTQ stuff and all the, all all this stuff, right? Which was like there was like heavy pushback even within members of the church in Mesa, because Mesa is kind of like little Utah, a lot of a lot of a lot of similarities to a lot of places in Idaho. Um, you know, anyways, long story short, uh, you know, we pulled together a plan because he was running, he blocked a ton of election integrity bills. He sucked. He's a member of the church. But he's in he's in, in deep red Mesa, uh, parts of Mesa. And we ran somebody against him and we got the message out, right? Which was we very simply just like said, hey, look, like, yeah, Rusty, yeah, you might like him. He's a nice grand grandfatherly dude, but like here's here's what he supports. And like he helped like the LGBTQ community and the trans stuff. And like, like he's like on board for like yeah it's blocking election integrity and like that's kind of the way that we approached it was just like a very and uh you know we got president trump to endorse his opponent and we did some other things that were important and you know he lost 65 uh 35 so oh, wow. so he got knocked out so he was the speaker of the house and we beat him 
you know, in, in his next election by almost two to one. And that, again, he's LDS, um, is super LDS community. Um, but, you know, actively working, it's a really small microcosm of what's going on here. But if you, if you do, if you do it right, right. And, and you come in hard and heavy and swing and, yeah, there's a, a possibility to knock these guys out. And they need it, right? And that's your opportunity in the primary. That's why ranked choice voting can't get passed because a guy like Rusty would gobble up all the Democrat votes in a non-traditional primary or in a ranked choice voting primary. So yeah, our primary is our general in Idaho. Yeah. So I got a quick question for you. Uh, in Arizona, you guys had a a seventy three year old man killed an illegal immigrant on his property, or he's saying he didn't now. Like, what's the story behind that? Yeah, I don't I don't know that person uh, and I haven't personally gotten involved uh, with that story specifically. But here's what I do know. I do. I have had a lot of friends. Uh, I know people that know this guy um, and I've had a lot of friends and families, uh, friends of fam of my family and families of family who uh, who actually have owned land along the border. They're really close to it. And it is an extraordinarily dangerous proposition to own land down there. And again, going back to the conversation we just had, which is if you believe in the very simple under the very simple message here that number one, you know, we live in a state that you can defend your own property and, and life. And two, that you have a a circumstance where if you actually believe that the salvation of the country is going to come from growing this way and not this way, which includes farming and ranching and cat. We're, we're at one of the lowest times ever. No one's ever, no one's talking about this. We have less beef production in the United States than we've ever had per capita ever, ever, which is, which is totally insane given the amount of like the amount of land that exists just in, in Arizona alone, much less, you know, the amount of land that we have in Arizona alone that's controlled by BLM that we could graze cattle on is like far greater than almost any other country in the world has like just with like grazable land. But anyways, let's, let's, nevertheless, the if we want to encourage or incentivize people to own land and to do those activities, the federal government should be do, doing its job and protecting those people from foreign invasion, from people even just walking really across the land that could that could harm you, you know, and, and your ground, that's their property. It, it's, it's, it's their property. And so, look, I don't know. I, I, I doubt that there was any witnesses. I, I, my understanding is that there weren't any to this, this specific instance, but you know, our, our responsibility, my responsibility is this as a, as a conservative, as an American is to say, we want to protect every landowner in America in every way possible so and defend their ability and right to do what I just said, which is go this way and not this way. Right. Yep. And that's the ultimate battle of what we're in right now is people like this guy are going to be under a total assault, regardless of the circumstances, because he's doing this and not this. Right. So, <clears throat> so we have to be, I think, super defensive from a policy standpoint. This includes, you know, protecting, you know, stand your ground laws, which are in a lot of States now, uh, you know, defending that obviously border security from the federal level, but you know, more importantly is uh, is making sure that 
you know, people's rights are defended uh, throughout the process of, again, defending their own life and property. And this guy, I think they put a million dollar bond, uh, bail bond on him, you know, so uh, uh, he had a million dollar bond on him. He can't bail himself out um, because, you know, who's, he has no capacity for this. He's old and his wife's at home. He's clearly not a flight risk, you know, and the courts, and this is what the left has done. And they figured out is like, if you can hijack the courts, right, the judiciary, you can control all this, right? Source because- money. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like 10 different ways to attack, you know, the, this concept, right. To, to prevent, and that starts with the federal government coming for your land that comes from, you know, allowing an invasion to happen across your land and your state. And again, this isn't just Arizona. This is all the Northern states across the Canadian border. This is, you know, huge parts of Texas. I mean, again, and I, and I don't want to freak everybody out here, but like, this instance with what's happening with this gentleman um, is not new. Like we've had numerous instances of like, what do you do, you know, when an illegal walks across your land down there? And again, I've had a lot of friends that have owned land down there and that have land across the border. And generally what they've done is just to stay away from them, which puts you in a very dangerous situation for yourself, uh, depending upon, you know, uh, the cartel members that are involved and the coyotes and every, everything else that's you know in between drugs being run across. But I mean, if you think about this, forget Arizona, let's just say Arizona's already gone. Right. Which makes it almost like a 65, 70% less likelihood that we can ever win the white house again. Now let's look at Texas. If we allow this, this to, con- this to continue to permeate American culture, you lose Texas for good you have basically no shot at ever winning the White House again. Well, what does that mean? Well, the president controls essentially really important key elements of the judiciary, including not not just the Supreme Court, but um, the appellate court appointments, right? So like these are, and then governor, same thing, right? Is like you're they're making appellate court appointments. And so, you know, this is why the Katie Hobbs loss here is so big. The Democrat takes over Texas, you know, as governor, you know, in the, in the near field here with the radicals that they're putting into place, you're going to lose not just your Supreme courts, you're losing all these appellate court positions, right? You're losing all of these local uh, judicial appointments that happen at the county level. And now all of a sudden you have a, a circumstance where no conservative on any issue is ever going to be able to win again. And this is where you start to have the real you know, concern of like, well, are people going to be wrongly in prison? Like we saw with some of the J6, you know, offenders, right? Which is like, are they going to be wrongly in prison? Are they going to be wrongly held? Are you, I mean, this is this is antithetical to what our country country was founded upon. So it's a real it's a real scary thing, you know. This whole circumstance with with a guy like this is, you know, if they're going to throw an old man who has, is not a flight risk, whose whole life is on his ranch. Uh, for the circumstances without really, a, you know, a uh, without giving him a, a speedy and fair trial, you know, very similar again to that J6 situation, um, you know, what else are they going to do, right? What what other s- scenario are you possibly going to see, you know, start to culminate as Democrats continue to uh, consolidate power? Yeah. 
we saw that you guys actually had it to where you had passed a bill in Arizona dealing with school choice, right? Uh, which is super important, especially with because the Democrats do focus on the younger generation. And and I think as Republicans, we just in general kind of suck at going after the youth in any way. And that's why I think t- what Turning Point does is is so great with, you know, getting involved in the college campuses. But uh, I heard in an in interview recently that your new governor, uh, she actually has it to where she does not want school choice. Are, are is the Democrats, are they trying to get rid of school choice completely and and not have people be able to go to different alternative options as far as schools or what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> Arizona has been one of the the pre- preeminent leaders in school choice. So um, for a long time, our system that's been here, which has enabled kids to choose charter options, um, and again, without getting too much into the weeds, has been a, a highly lauded system. There's only about, I think it's nine states in the United States that really have school choice, uh, real school choice options. Um, Florida being one of them, Louisiana is really great. A few others in Arizona. Arizona passed last year. And again, this is the 11th hour of the Doug Ducey eight-year administration. You know, finally, the conservatives down at the legislature, we've we've had legislative conservatives who've been trying to pass school choice for eight years. Mm-hmm. Doug, Doug Ducey on his way out was like realizing he was going to leave behind no legacy. <laughs> and and also, but by the way, Kerry got nominated, you know, and I think he was seeing down that this is why all of a sudden we saw, you know, you know, cheap border tricks and stuff like that all happening was that he realized very quickly that he was going to have absolutely no legacy and that potentially a more conservative option was going to get in and was going to expose him as like the the fraud that he really was, which was kind of a weak, again, he's nowhere near as bad, bad as your governor, but um, you know, he was, he was not, he was not a friend to conservatives. Let's put it that way in most cases. So and he, he did some good things in between, but like, again, he could have, he could have been a rock star if he wanted to be uh, with it, with the, you know, a trifecta in the state. Um, long story short, <clears throat> they they got this pass, which would really expanded the voucher, the open voucher system here to to extreme heights uh, to set the to, unlike any other state has. And obviously, the Democrats hate that, right? You know, the unions hate that. So, you know, that's one of the the awful parts of you know Katie Hobbs getting elected, you know, whether it's rightfully or wrongfully or whatever you believe, right? Which is uh, you know, I believe that there was a lot of tricks that were pulled to get her in there. And I don't think she, you know, really campaigned. And a lot of Arizonans don't know who she is or even like her, but that's beside the point. Um, you know, now we have a circumstance where you know they're trying to undo anything, even the very, you know, few things that you know Governor Ducey did do that were that were good. And the real critical piece to this is that we actually have the most conservative legislature that we've had in a long time. So we have a more conservative legislature uh, that's more polarized, you know, because we have a more liberal wing, a more progressive wing that's on the Democrat side and a more conservative wing that's on the Republican side. And now we have this like, you know, fraud imposter governor who doesn't know what she's doing. And she's kind of just listening to everybody and anything and nobody really respects her. And it's, yeah, it's it's really a sight to see here in Arizona now. Um, I I don't think that they're going to be able to, you know, completely undo or unwind what was passed. 
But, you know, if we lose the legislature over the course of the next two cycles, because we had really bad redistricting here, in my opinion, I don't think we had nearly as good of redistricting as we could have. And again, that's that's squarely on the shoulders of Doug Ducey, uh, because it's a long convoluted process. We have an independent redistricting commission here and, um, you know, he, he really is at the beginning of that process, but I think he didn't do a good enough job. Um, yeah, we, we could lose the legislature. If we lose the legislature, we're going to go from a Republican trifecta to a Democrat trifecta very quickly. And that, that again, that's devastating for Arizona because they're going to pass, they're going to sail through some of the worst legislative proposals that you've ever seen in a state with as much historic Republican control as, as Arizona. So it's very scary. Cramming stuff through right now, though. I did see that you guys took legislature and we're doing good here. They redistricted us to a super wonk, but um, we got a pretty good chunk of senators right now. We have a couple in the house, but I saw you guys just clean sweep. So are you guys cramming stuff through? I hope. Yeah, but again, they have to. <clears throat> we don't have a super majority here. So, yeah. Almost, almost everything that they're they're pushing through is going to get vetoed by the governor, right? So, mm -hmm. so that, so I mean, <clears throat> they're definitely going to hold her accountable by passing. I think they're doing a decent job, much better than we were last year. And really, again, <clears throat> this is why last year was such a, you know, I, I'm probably going to tweet about this. It's just it's so depressing because Governor Ducey and Rusty Bowers, you know, really sold out the state when they could have done a lot of good right before the election you know, padding ourselves to make sure that even if the worst case scenario happened, which is what seems to be happening, is that we would have had great, you know, legislative functions that were that were passed, great laws that were passed that that could have made it really difficult for Democrats to unwind for the next 10 years. And they just didn't do enough. You know, like Governor Ducey just kind of sat on his hands for for the better part of 10 years or eight years. And you know, it's just it's just depressing when you really look at it. So, you know, that's my advice to everybody that's out there, especially in your state, is like get rid of your governor and replace him with someone good while you still have the chance. Because if you can get rid of him and you can, re yeah, there's nothing wrong. Again, you know, Barry Goldwater, I've got I've got a uh, up there on the top shelf. You can see my uh, conscience of a conservative that's up there. It's a it's a original original print signed by Barry Goldwater, but it's you know, his, his quote of that, you know, radicalism or whatever it is in, in the name of liberty is no vice, right. Or whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. not radical. I think he says it's, uh, anyways, same, same sentiment, which is like, we need to go very hard. What the Democrats get, what we don't get and the left gets is that they go, they go all the way to the wall. They go super hard on proposals, right. And then it makes their moderate proposals look like a good idea to, un, you know, unassuming Republicans. So <clears throat> what we don't do a good job at is like, let our most conservative people get out there, let them put out their most you know, conservative proposals. And guess what? If we sneak in some of that stuff, great. But then, you know, then you're then you're debating like more on our side of the aisle with stuff rather than Paul Ryan, where you start negotiations in the middle and all of, all, all of a sudden you're like you know in, in obama's backyard right so that that's really like the way that i look at it is you've got to have republicans that you get elected today <clears throat> they're going to be willing to fight you know we don't have time <clears throat> and again <clears throat> sorry guys no, I, I don't i don't um 
I'm not saying that like Marjorie Taylor Greene is everybody's cup of tea. I'm not, I don't think that. You saw her this last weekend. She was Yeah. I mean, I get, I get it. Right. Like, like I, I, I get her. I, I like her, but like, I, I understand that not everybody likes her, but you have to understand that the Democrats, they, they do like their people that are like that mm-hmm. because, yeah. because a smart Democrat is going, well, you know, when AOC does, goes and does this, whatever I say, looks pretty, pretty standard, right? Like it looks pretty smart. And yeah. so like, again, we should be, and, and Lindsey Graham has kind of figured this out, right? Like that's the reason why I think he's on the Trump train with stuff like that is he realizes, and and, and again, I don't like Lindsey Graham. I, I'm not saying I like these people. <laughs> it's awful. And the difference between Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney is Mitt Romney is a complete moron, right? He basically yeah. is a, a leftist. Mo- uh, he's basically a Democrat doing the Democrats bidding. <clears throat> Whereas Lindsey has figured out, oh, you know what? You know, Donald Trump's great because, you know, he makes me look good, you know, in South Carolina, because whatever I say, then it's usually gets gets done. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty smart. You know, it's it's pretty smart. Even though I disagree with it and I, I don't agree with like half the things that come out of Lindsey Graham's mouth. Uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty smart politics because he's actually doing the things that the Democrats do on their side. Right. Which is like when the establishment guys. But on our side, we have like literally Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney and others like like they spend all their time going after you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan and, you know, Rand Paul. And it's like, no, we need like those are our best people that are putting out the greatest things. And like we're going to even if you disagree with them, like we're going to land somewhere between you and them. That's where we want to be. Um, and that's we need to, to reshift the Overton window. And honestly, we we're trying to go hard here just this weekend. Josh it? was up uh, heckling protesters with Alex Stein up in uh, Coeur d'Alene. So <laughs> we're trying I mean, we're trying to move it back, you know, and that's and I think that that's where like the, you know, that's where a lot of these guys, either they're lying and they're really just elements of the Democrat Party. And that's the reason why they don't do that. You know, again, I'm not saying I like Lindsey Graham. I'm not saying I like Kevin McCarthy, but here's what I know about Kevin McCarthy and Lindsey Graham. I know they're more on our side than they're on their side right now. Yeah, I can't say the same about Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney, right? Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, everything in my heart tells me that they're more on their side. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so this is, again, that's that's a fine line because there's not a lot that separates those four gentlemen, right? But but what what is really important is that Again, we're negotiating, like you said, we're moving that Overton window mm-hmm. and we're negotiating. What Trump did was he moved the Overton window significantly. Whereas mm-hmm. 10 years ago, we were talking about like Gang of Eight stuff with Jeff Flake mm-hmm. and Marco Rubio. So now we're talking about like Democrats are like, you know, dragging their feet to build the wall, right? right. Like that, that, like that's an Overton window shift, right? That's, that's a major shift. And that's because of Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. That's because Trump shifted that. Right. So that um, that is really important for us is like we want to land the negotiation. If we want to be a, a smart, pragmatic, you know, conservative party is we need to identify the differences between those who are on our team and those who are just like helping the, the enemy. Right. That's number one. And if you can do that and we can just like oust those people, meaning like replace them 100%. That's kind of going back full circle to our conversation here. If you replace those people, 
then you're you're heading somewhere, right? You're going somewhere. Do I like Kevin McCarthy? He's not my favorite. You know, I, I don't think I, but at least he's an honest moderate, you know, at least he's like, usually tells you the truth that like, I'm not on the same page with you on something. I don't love that he attacked some conservatives and didn't help some conservatives out last election cycle, but that's different from like, you know, Paul Ryan and a John Boehner who like straight up would lie to your face and say, I'm conservative. And here's all the different reasons why in the background, they were like stabbing us in the back. Yeah. Right. Well, he kicked off like what a uh, what was it not AOC the other one the other girl from the gang yeah. all uh, Swalwell and shit to leave yep kicked them all off the like foreign affairs committee I'm oh. like like that girl was doing deals with Qatar from behind the scenes like why is she on the foreign affairs committee and homeboy just slept with a Chinese spy like so it was good to see that kind of movement happening like Paul Ryan never would have done that John yeah. Boehner never would have done that right like so. Look, credit is credit where credit's due, right? With 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 Kevin McCarthy again. I don't agree with him all the time, but I know he's more on our side, clearly. Right. And some of this is like smart politicking on the conservative side because again, that whole concept of moving the Overton window is there with Trump, with the Freedom Caucus, right? Of like actually exerting power and all of that. Like all of that exists as an existence. So um you know, I, so I think we're making progress in ways that we've never had before in the conservative movement. But, you know, what we have to do, we have to get super serious. And this is what scares me the most in Idaho and Utah and, you know, Arizona, we've, we've kind of woken up, but like in Idaho and Utah in particular, um, and some other states, Wyoming, some other places, is there is just the conservative activists, you know, your pedestrian voters um, are, haven't turned into conservative activists quite yet, right? So like in boy and like there's no better example of this than Boise and what's happened in the city council, right? And and with everything else is like you have a real circumstance with a, a city that shouldn't in no shape or form be run by radical leftists mm-hmm. getting hijacked by radical leftists, by ultra progressive people who want to do really terrible things to Idaho. You should see the school boards here in Ada right now. I mean, we've had a senator have to go be like, you're in violation of this, 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 and this. And they came out crying, all the leftist media out here, because all the, the statesmen, they're all ca- Idaho Capital Sun, they're all leftists. So they write, oh, Trakel, Senator Trakel's awful. And like, he was in there giving you like a lowdown on what laws you were violating, you know, for, for school board stuff. It was like, you know, the transgender CRT junk that they're trying to push. So like- I mean, but this is like radical stuff that no one's ever had to deal with. So like, I mean, my parents, and I, I say this all the time too, I talk about this, we've covered a lot of ground here, but um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an older millennial. I don't know where you guys fit in. My parents are old Gen Xers, but there's just a lot of Gen Xers who just are so uninvolved, mm-hmm. disassociated with politics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's because a lot of Gen Xers um, lived a really happy, you know, wealthy life, right? Either they had really old baby boomers or silent generation family that passed the business on to them, or they got in like the corporate ladder in the 90s and early 2000s, which was just like the dot-com boom and, you know, the big tech boom and stock market going crazy, right? Like, and like people like my parents were like, again, my parents weren't, weren't like, in, you know, insanely wealthy or anything like that. But, you know, they were family, they were, you know, children of farmers and ranchers who sold off land. And so they had a little bit of something and, 
you know, they had a really comfortable lifestyle and they got corporate jobs and they were treated well and overpaid compared to now for what, what you get paid. And they got stock options and things like that. And they just never had to, and like politics was like pretty fair and, and even keeled. And now you look at it and we like, none of those things are true, right? Like, yeah, like in, inflation's through the roof, you know, the cost to get an education, like, and I put this in the perspective for people because I'm in the, you know, the collegiate space, if you will, it costs like six or 700 times more, 700% more to get an education at a university than it did when like, even like if I had an older brother, when they would have graduated, like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. So like in the, in the span of 20 years, you have like five, six, 700% increase seven times more of what a cost of education is. And in most cases, that's 10 to 20 times more than what our parents paid. Yeah. I mean, I went to UNLV for $4,000 a year, my first year of college. And that's still really high compared to like what, you know, my parents, it was like, you know, it was for a semester, it was like 800 bucks a semester at ASU, right? Or a thousand bucks a semester, right? So like less than a thousand dollars a semester. So like you're, and they're getting the same value out of their degree that people that are coming out now are getting out, right? Meaning they're getting way increased. I mean, they're getting the same cost implication of that, right? So they're they're getting greater value out of their degree than than someone coming out now. So we're basically starting all, and this is intentional for the left, starting people basically with like the the equivalent of a luxury car loan coming out of college or greater, right? And they don't even have the chance to get started and to build the life that they want to build. They can't have land. The inflation is now through the roof and, and people are just giving up on life and this is how you invite in Marxism. This is how you invite in, you know, socialism. And this is how you build a city this way instead of this way. And so that's, these are all things that we have to fight with tooth and nail in our states, in our home states to say, you know what, you know, what's the best way to fight Marxists? It's just build this way, right? Don't, don't go, don't even go argue with them in public. Like you can do that and let's find like, we're that's what I do obviously with my days is like, I go argue with like leftists, but what's really important and really strategic is to win in places that we're going to be able to uh, return America to really what its intent was, which was life, liberty, and land, which was ownership, you know, be able to defend yourself, defend your own place. Right. And, And again, if we can really, get people to that. We talk about life and liberty all the time and, you know, the Republican party and the conservative movement, but it's really, we forget that like, you know, self-ownership, um, you know, self-control type of aspect of owning land and owning your own stuff. I could literally talk to you all day. You're kind of like, you know, you're the knowledge level of us here at Idaho, but I've got to go do research on COVID stuff for one of my senators. <laughs> so I don't know. Thank you so much for coming. You're so rad. Like anytime you want to hang out and talk, or even if you want to call and just BS, or if you need anything from our state, like we're kind of those people here to try to be in tune, you know, if you need anything from our legislators, give us a ring. Well, God bless you guys. I mean, the best thing that your legislators can do, the best thing that your activists in Idaho can do is defend again, Idaho from what, what is this creepy Marxism that's coming in? Which, what does that mean? It means becoming 
involved at the precinct level, getting involved with the party, becoming involved with party leadership within the Republican Party. I can tell you right now that if we don't do that, then you're going to keep getting the same old, same old turnover. Uh, we've got to elect good people. We've got to run for every position that's available. It doesn't matter if it's winnable or not. We need to run somebody in for school, every school board, every legislative seat. It doesn't matter if it's in a deep blue area or not. And because they, they make mistakes and people die, people quit, people, you know, get thrown in jail. They get, you know, all these things happen. And if you have something that's already there, you win. And that's what we have to do. We have to win in every single level and then fight for these policies, which are very simple, which is just, again, just returning America and Idaho back to freedom. And so that's, if we don't do that now, uh, you know, it's going to be very swift. I think within the next six to eight years, we may not have another chance. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for joining us and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys.